What is up, guys? Welcome to the, another episode. Mike and I was a little bit sick this last couple of weeks. Mike before me. After that, I got Omicron. It wasn't Mike's fault because we are not together. Um, but Mike, <laughs> do you know like what uh, you said you had COVID, right? Do you know what variant that was? No, no. I just uh, once I got tested, it was just positive or negative at the hospital. They didn't list a variant or tell us a variant or anything like that. So you told me you were feeling very bad. Um, so what was your symptoms and recap us on that? So the whole story, I, I thought that I had the, just the regular flu. And it's quite possible that I had the regular flu. But I had worked with, so I had, I had, a te- I get four patients when I work with patients, three or four patients, depending on how sick they are. And two of the patients I had had flu, like they had the active flu, then they were on like high flow oxygen in their nose and all types of IVs. Like they were very messed up from the flu. And actually, interestingly enough, they had had the flu shot. And one of the gentlemen had gotten Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is like a paralysis after the flu shot and then got the flu on top (laughs) of that. So he had this individual had pneumonia, the flu and uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome. So he was like, this gentleman was like very messed up. Like we had, he was, we had a lot of stuff going for him. And then the other gentleman just had the flu and pneumonia. Cause when usually when people get like a viral infection and they're older, they also will get pneumonia. Um, the bacteria are opportunistic. They'll come in. And then I had another lady who had respiratory problems, uh, but we didn't know she had COVID or she had initially tested negative for COVID. And then her x-rays were showing ground glass opacities, which is like a telltale sign for COVID. Most COVID patients come back and it's like kind of like a fluid and fibrosis in the lungs type of deal. And essentially then we tested her and she was still negative, but she was having like huge respiratory issues. So then, and I had worked with her and these other two people for like four days before I had gotten sick, but this lady, I didn't know she had any COVID or anything like that. And then eventually after I, once I got sick from working with them afterwards, we found out that she had actually had COVID. They tested her a third time and then she was positive. And then she had went into the ICU and she died um, from respiratory failure. So she actually, and she was, when I had her, she was very sick. Like we had chest tubes in her cause she had so much fluid in her lungs and um, she had a lot going on, a lot going on. So for me, and to put things into perspective, I have not been sick in six, seven years. Like I haven't had a flu. I haven't had anything. I've been fine. To be fair, I have been getting like sunlight very regularly. I like, even when I was working in the hospitals three days a week. So my stress was more minimal, but now I'm more, obviously I've been working a lot more. I was like four days a week in the hospital and then consulting and podcasts, yada, yada, all that type of stuff. But when I'd gotten, I had actually gotten like sick, sick this time. I had my fevers for I don't know what it was in Celsius. I think it was like 40 degrees Celsius. And then uh, Fahrenheit, I was like over 104 degrees on my fever. That was probably the worst thing was the fever. I had no respiratory symptoms until once I got better, I had like a little cough. Um, I had body aches. I had chills. uh, And I was just like very fatigued. And then the worst thing was I lost taste and smell and I was nauseous. So I, the, I like with the nausea and not tasting your food and not being able to smell it. Or if you were, if I was tasting my food, I couldn't, it was disgusting. So like even things that I absolutely love, like I was like pineapple juice. I just could, I was like, I, this is disgusting. I don't want this. (laughs) 
<laughs> so orange juice, pineapple juice, pomegranate juice, beef bacon. Uh, the only thing, interestingly, that I could eat during this period of time was ice cream. And I'm not big on everyone knows I'm not like super big on dairy, but I was like pounding ice cream every day because I was worried I was going to lose a lot of weight because I just wasn't eating. And I wanted to get in like calories. And it also it would uh, like I would feel better after I ate it because it was cold and <laughs> my fevers were like were quite high. Um, so yeah, that was like the biggest thing for me was fevers and my symptoms were worse when my fever was higher and then they were better when my fever was lower. So fevers were the biggest thing. Yeah. Speaking of Jackson, have you ever seen the movie jungle cruise with the rock? No, I don't think so. So there was this one scene where the guy, you're talking about fever and he was giving like a presentation about this flower. It can cure all disease. And he was talking about different kinds of fever, like dengue fever, Hey, fever, fever, fever. And he was like, just like, <laughs> it was hilarious, man. Everyone should check out Jungle Cruise. That was the hilarious part. But uh, so anytime someone talks about like fever, I'm just immediately thinking about that scene with like fever, fever, you know, <laughs> anyway, please continue. Yeah. Well, no, that's it. Those, the, the majority of the worst part of my symptoms were nausea, was the nausea, the loss of taste, loss of smell, loss of appetite, and then the fevers and like, I was basically and like fatigue, like I was just down. That was base. That was the worst. I barely had it. I didn't have any like upper respiratory. I didn't have a runny nose. I didn't really get a sore throat. I didn't really get headaches. I didn't have any of that stuff. And I didn't really have much like like I didn't have breathing issues. I got I developed a cough later on that lasted for maybe like four or five days. I had a cough once I started to feel better. Um, but that was really it. That was like the that was the biggest thing. The fever was, and I didn't take any special flour to cure my fever. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my symptoms were actually more or less the same as yours. And like the reason I think I, I'm a girl, like I didn't taste and as far as I know, they don't tell you what variant you had. And it's something about, it's like, you're not even legal to know what, which variant you had, whatever all kinds of conspiracies going on anyway so because i felt like i had all of those symptoms that people talk about this is omicron this is symptoms so i kind of like related like i had those kind of symptoms so the first symptoms that i thought i get is was i was feeling a lot of muscle and joint achiness in my lower legs and first of all i thought i like had um that's also some of the symptoms that i get if, when i had food poisoning in the past and it's like okay well i don't feel that same nauseousness i don't think i have food poisoning And we had guests over that was also sick. And I just get like, okay, it must have been some kind of, uh, they gave it to me. And so the first night I was just feeling more so the muscle achiness in the joints. And I had started getting fever. I took a bunch of supplements like aspirin, um, thyroid, and I think I had some methylene blue and a few other stuff to help with it, to increase my temperature. I was thinking like the higher I can get my temps, the faster I can break the fever. So I think year at 11, I was getting like hypoglycemic, you know, I was, I, when I would stand up and I would like make myself some tea or something like that, I would start getting, like, you know, you would just want to drop, you get that hypoglycemia effect, want to black out. And when I sit down, I'm probably fine. So you're at 11 PM. It's like, you know what? I got to go to bed, going to sleep this off. And then at 1 AM in the morning, I woke up, broke the fever. So I, it was kind of like short left the fever. But then I still had like this loss of appetite. And later on, I experienced the loss of my uh, taste mostly and smell as well. So as you said, like you eat food that you usually enjoy. It's like, eh, eh, you know, this isn't very nice. And so I was having broth and my biggest concern was losing muscle mass, you know? So I was just trying to make sure I was having enough calories. I was having enough protein to maintain muscle mass. 
but I was also fine by deloading, you know, not training, just deloading. And I must say that was good because now I feel a lot fresher <laughs> when I trained again. Uh, what was the more symptoms? Um, I, I think I felt a little bit something at the back of my throat, but it wasn't something much. I had some pressure here, sinuses at the back, but it wasn't like runny sinus. It was just like congested mucus, but it wasn't kind of like blocking the sinus. I could breathe perfectly fine. Um, and I felt like I, I wasn't, I felt like muscle weakness in a way. I, I was feeling fine, but also not explosive and weak at the same time. It was a weird feeling. And my cardiovascular system was not functioning very good. So if I would play with the dogs, I would get out of breath very quickly and feel like I'm very unfit, you know, like burning in your throat when you're like running. And um, so, yeah, that, that was kind of like the symptoms that lasted the longest. And a few days away, ago, that went away and muscles feeling a lot better now. Achiness completely gone. I got my taste back actually today. I was drinking some mango juice. And when I was sick, I was feeling like, oh, this mango juice is disgusting. <laughs> And then today I was like, oh, mango juice, this tastes so good. <laughs> so taste yeah. is coming back. I'm happy about that. Um, so that was kind of like the symptoms. Let's talk about what you use to resolve your symptoms or help you to not die. Well, the one thing I do want to mention too, when you talk about cardiovascular system is I had at one point, um, I have a pulse ox here. I'm a nurse. So I have pulse ox, glucometer, stethoscope, all blood pressure, all that type of stuff, just because from my job. Um, but I had a, I put the pulse ox at one point because my fiance was all worried because my temps were so high and my pulse was actually just hanging out while I was laying in bed in the one thirties. So 130 beats per minute. So that was something else that I did have, but I didn't feel it. I didn't feel like my heart was pounding. I didn't feel, and, and my pulse tracked with my temp. So like the higher my temps would go, my pulse would be higher. So when my temps were like a hundred or 101, I would be like, you know, 90 beats per minute. Normally I run at like 60 or 70. Um, so my pulse had almost doubled when I was like, when I wasn't feeling well, when I was running, when I really had the fevers. And I think that that is related to um, the flu virus, which, so I don't think a lot of people realize this, but both the flu virus and the coronavirus can have a spike protein. And that spike protein does interact with the ACE system for both of them. So I think that having, whether it's flu or Corona, whatever it was, whether it was a, like influenza or a coronavirus, I had, um, like that was the main side effect I got as far as the A system goes, the uh, angiotensin or uh, the RAS system, excuse me, um, renin angiotensin aldosterone system. So my pulse was up as far as what I use to, to help myself or to, to try and get better. The biggest things that made a difference for me, and I, one of them is not bioenergetic or anything like that, but it was Tylenol and cyproheptidine. Um, I was using aspirin because since I tested positive for COVID and all that stuff, I was uh, slightly concerned about the clotting issues just because I had seen them in the hospital. I didn't really think I was at such a risk for that. Um, I've never had clotting issues and as far as like, I'm in my twenties and I don't have any com comorbidities and I eat pretty well. I'm not super loaded on PUFA. So, but I still wanted, I still had aspirin on board, but the aspirin wasn't bringing my fevers down. And after, when you start to get to 105 degree fever, which I got close to at certain points, you're at risk for seizures. So I needed to get my temperature down. Um, if I was just like 102, 101, I don't think I would have worried about the fever but since I was getting to a point where it was like, like quite dangerous, um, 
I would, and I was feeling pretty bad when that was happening. I was using Tylenol because Tylenol was the only thing that was getting the fever down. The aspirin wasn't, wasn't touching my fever, um, like at all. And the other thing I was doing was I was taking, they weren't cold showers, but they were like lukewarm showers, uh, to try and get my body temp down. So I'm sure the water had to be like 80 degrees or somewhere or 90 degrees, somewhere around there, but that's better (laughs) that like, it's still lower than 104. So the water actually felt cold to me, even at the 80 degrees or whatever it was. So I was taking like a more lukewarm shower. Um, and then as far as the cyproheptadine, it just, I would, I was, I used an idea labs product. I'm, I'm no affiliation or anything, but that's what I used. That was the one that I used. Um, and I took about, (laughs) I was doing about, go ahead. I wish like you have no affiliation, but use my code below. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm not affiliated. (laughs) Yeah. No codes. We don't have any codes, but, um, I was using maybe like one drop every couple hours or so. So I think it's 0.5 milligrams per drop. And that would basically take out the nausea because the nausea for me was, was pretty bad. Uh, And my bowels were kind of messed up. So I didn't have diarrhea. I didn't have constipation but they just, my stomach just wasn't right. And that was the, the nausea was probably the most uncomfortable, the nausea and like my, my intestines just not feeling right. Um, but the cyproheptadine like uh, cured that. And so I would, I was using that quite regularly. I, at one point I did use too much. Um, and I, it started to affect kind of like my motivation and my mood. Like I kind of started to feel dulled and numbed out. And I, I was also feeling like a zombie and that could have been, re- that could have been part of the fatigue because I'm very responsive to antihistamines and drugs. Like my body is very sensitive to them. And I do get like, I, even the 0.5 milligrams was like very potent for me. And I was using a lot of it and it does have a, a longer half-life. Um, so when it did start to build up, like my mood and my energy and my motivation were down and I started to get like slightly depressive symptoms. Um, which I have had before from cyproheptadine using it when I was on night shift for sleep. Besides that, I did try another, I was using vitamin D. I usually take it topically on the skin, but I moved to orally because I wanted to get the full dose. So I was doing about 5,000 IUs orally um, every day. After I did take the vitamin D, I did get relief. So like I was at, when I would take the vitamin D, I would immediately feel kind of like a, like my body would relax a little bit. I just didn't, I wasn't keen on overdoing it because there was like one day where I was like, Oh, I'm just going to take a crap load of vitamin D. And then I felt like quite off after. So I stayed at 5,000 IUs. Um, I was using the 325 milligrams of aspirin. I know for a lot of people, that's not that much aspirin. Um, but for me that, that I figured that was enough, especially considering I was thinking about it from the clotting perspective because it like, I wasn't really, like I wasn't really feeling much or from it when I was, and it wasn't taking my temp down. Um, and the clotting perspective, I think it lasts like seven to 10 days for the aspirin, but I just want to, and I'm, I'm currently still using aspirin on a regular basis. Um, just because of all of that stuff. So I had the aspirin on board. I was taking B vitamins. I was taking calcium. I was taking magnesium. Those didn't really seem to be touching what I had going on. And then I was also taking, uh, some herbs, So I was taking elderberry. Um, I felt like a minor boost from that. I was taking uh, olive leaf extract for its antiviral properties. And I was taking black cumin seed, black cumin seed and olive leaf extract. And then I also was having some uh, green tea in my juice. Those things were noticeable. 
Like I would get like the vitamin D, the Tylenol, the cyproheptadine and the herbs, the black cumin seed and olive leaf extract and the green tea. When I use those, I I felt like a significant little bump where I was like, okay, I feel a little better. Another thing that was extremely helpful for me and was actually quite potent, interestingly enough, is here where I am in Texas is quite cold now, but there was a couple days where it's like 50 degrees outside. And I am, my fiance and I had went to the park. We weren't near anyone or anything like that. There was no one in the park. And we just sat in the sun and I took my shirt off. I was just in shorts, even though it was 50 degrees outside Fahrenheit. And I felt immediately better. Like I felt a hundred times better sitting in the sun. I was like, I told Emma, I was like, I can run right now. <laughs> I feel so good. Um, so sitting in the sun and like the sun exposure was something that was extremely, extremely helpful for me. Um, so those were the, those are probably the, the things that I got the most benefit from. And then one day I, um, I had used progesterone and the progesterone was actually quite helpful. Um, but I, I was like used it towards the end. Uh, and then the, the last thing I want to talk about is there was one point where I had maxed out Tylenol. You, uh, you can only use about four grams of Tylenol in a day, and then you can start, you're going to start to have uh, some liver kidney issues. So I was keeping it under three grams. I wanted to give myself a one gram margin of error. Uh, I could probably, probably wouldn't have problems at four grams because I am larger, uh, but still not good overall. So I was keeping it below three grams. So I had maxed out my Tylenol and I couldn't get my fever down. And I was feeling like absolutely terrible. And I was like, I, at that, this was the only point where I was like kind of worried because the fever wasn't down. I had just taken the shower and I was still quite hot. And I, and I was like, my symptoms were ramping up. I had actually taken two drops of cyproheptadine and immediately I felt better. So I think that the antihistamines, whether Benadryl or cyproheptadine, and it may partially be through the histamine effect, but I think a large portion is actually the anti-serotonin effect. Um, that was, those were like lifesavers for me. The, uh, and the reason I was using the Cypro is because I could dose one drop every couple hours. And, and with the Benadryl, I have like tablets with in higher dosages. So um, or capsules with higher dosages. So I prefer to take the, the, uh, Cypro on a more regular basis consistently. So that, that was definitely a huge lifesaver for me. And then the sunlight and Tylenol were, I think the most, most notable and then just rest. And the other thing I would say is like, uh, they, we do this in the ICU, but proning, like where you, you're face down, where you're laying face down, I think that if you're having breathing issues at all, because my fiance, she had gotten a little bit of breathing issues at one point, um, but like laying face down, just, I don't know, just like it opens up and allows your lungs to drain. And I think that if you're having any breathing issues, that proning is, can be extremely helpful. And that's something I noticed. I didn't really have too much breathing issues, but laying face down was, was helpful. And I sleep on my belly anyway. And then for my fiance, that's something that was helpful as well. So things to keep in mind. <laughs> Did you uh, know about um, famotidine, so Pepsid? I actually bought Pepsid, but I wound up not using it because I was a... So I went on PubMed and I was looking while I was, you know, just dying in the bed. I was like reading PubMed articles about what things to use and what things not to use for COVID. Um, they were saying that 
for example, I was reading an article saying that Tylenol was actually better for COVID patients because there was some worry about ibuprofen because usually ibuprofen is what you would hit for fevers. It is quite effective for fever. Tylenol is as well, but ibuprofen seems to be the most effective from the, the research I was reading. But in COVID, they're saying that Tylenol is actually better because some of the effects of ibuprofen were not uh, ideal in COVID patients. I forget the specifics. Um, and then with the famotidine, it was saying like it was kind of like it could be beneficial like, in some studies it was showing benefit. And then in other studies, it was, it was, there was, there was like kind of some doubt casts on it. And I was, I didn't, because my gut was all messed up from COVID and what was going on. I was hesitant to lower stomach acid production and like maybe create some type of issue as far as like a SIBO or anything like that. And I was like, I was doing okay. So I didn't want to add, I didn't want to add another drug on board. I'm already sensitive to them. I had never, I had taken everything that I had used there. I have used before. So I knew the effects of it. And I was quite hesitant to add certain things in that I, that I hadn't used before. And I didn't know the, how it was going to hit me or whatnot. Um, the other thing I will say that I did use is I do have, well, I don't know if you want me to say this, but I do have ivermectin. Um, and I did, I did use ivermectin. I didn't really feel much difference from it when I used it. The reason why I was comfortable using ivermectin is because I had used it before. Um, and I have used it with like family members and like for specifically my fiance, we had, she had gone on a trip and she had gotten like a worm in her foot. It was like literally traveling in her skin and ivermectin is the drug that you use for that. So we have ivermectin from that. Um, and it wiped out the parasitic infection then, but we have ivermectin. I know the dosing protocol for it. I tried it and I didn't really, I didn't notice much from the ivermectin, but I did notice from the other things. Yeah. A lot of doctors talk about like, um, you know, pre-treatment. So you treat yourself with ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or whatever, you know, you pre-treat yourself that it's much more effective than versus when you actually do get coronavirus and then you treat yourself that it's much less effective. So I think yeah. that's why you didn't feel as much. Um, but the thing is, like, you never know when you are going to get COVID. So it's not going to like you're going to be using ivermectin for two years before you get it. I don't think yeah. that's a good idea <laughs> either. So, um, but yeah, okay. So in my case, I you talked about that low motivation state. Like, I had that too. And I, didn't, I hated that state, man. I was like, uh, I felt like I had to work. You know, I wanted to create content. And I'm just sitting here in front of a computer like, oh, man, what am I going to create? I, I feel so unmotivated today. <laughs> Will I ever be able to create content again? <laughs> you know, it feels like so permanent. It's like, okay, wait, wait, wait. I don't feel good. I'm in low energy state. I should accept that I have no motivation. It's fine. You know, um, this, this is going to pass. I'm going to feel better and then I'm going to continue to create content. So that wasn't good to feel that low energy state. Um, but the supplements I use, okay, so first, when I was feeling sick, because it was like suddenly on me, you know, it was um, the people were here. Uh, I think I started feeling bad four o'clock maybe in the afternoon and then it just got progressively worse and then that night i broke the fever and i actually the second night i think i had a slight fever again but i wasn't aware of it i just woke up sweaty um okay so the first things that i used because i know you have a lot of h receptors in the gut and that usually what causes inflammation in the gut and you get gut dysbiosis and some people get like a permanent like a chronic gut dysbiosis and that's why they get long covid or I think that's one of the main reasons why people get long COVID is because they have this disposis that isn't being resolved. So I want to make sure like I crush any kind of gut inflammation as fast as possible. I don't want to get any kind of long COVID symptoms. Um, just want to remodulate it back to normal as fast as possible. So I had um, like Lapidin 
which contains beta, lapachone, and also imodin. Imodin is great for the gut, blocks the ACE receptor, blocks the spike protein from binding, you know, those kind of stuff. It's great for lowering inflammation, increasing NAD levels in the gut. So that's what I used. I used panquinone, also quinone. It helps to increase the NAD to NADH ratio, helps to lower the inflammation, prevent like DNA damage, uh, ensures that your cells are producing energy the way they should be doing, helps the immune system. Um, I use some thyroid, as I mentioned. I just want to make sure like my cells are working the way they should. I don't want the inflammation or something to inhibit proper energy metabolism, and then your body can't produce or fight the viral infection inflammation as, as good as it can. So, and I also thought it might help to break the fever faster, which I think it did. I used aspirin. Aspirin has some antiviral effects. I mainly also used it to block the inflammation, increase uncoupling. So I used about a gram of that before bed. And I think that also helped break the fever because I was feeling cold, you know, that cold shivers. And then you throw all the blankets on you and just sweat it That's out. That's what I had too. Yeah, it wasn't nice, but I just knew like you have to break the fever. So just throw all the blankets on you, try to go to sleep, wake up in a puddle of sweat, and then you know you'll have <laughs> broken the fever. Um, so what did I use more? It was um, methylene blue because it has antiviral properties, anti-inflammation, all kinds of good stuff. Um, I did use some niacinamide later on. I didn't use it right away because I forgot about it. Niacinamide is also great as antiviral effects. Um, restores proper energy metabolism. I used about three grams on a daily basis, still with high dose, but I didn't really feel. Yeah. I, th- I think I felt it worked. It, it was mild, even at that dose. And I combined. You're still with- eating though, right? When you did all this. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I don't want to uh, waste the muscle because I'm ripping down and now I'm already in a deficit. I'm not training. And now I become sick and I don't eat. And then you lose even more muscle mass. Like that's the last thing I want. Yeah. So I was just at one point, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to relax a little bit on my diet. I'm going to make broth. So I had oxtail, made broth, made it like a potato soup. That was very nice. I think it helped with the recovery. At least it, I enjoyed eating it. So I was getting salt and gelatin. It was anti-inflammatory. It was good. Oh my God, it was something I craved. Um, whereas milk, I wasn't craving any milk or smoothies, but I, I forced myself to make a smoothie with some eggs and those kind of stuff just to get some protein and nutrients into my system. Um, there was more supplements. Um, what else did I use? Sacroeptidin, that's also one thing I used. Block some of the inflammation, serotonin. Uh, 10-methoxyharmalon is also something I felt that worked because serotonin is pretty bad. Like when you get a viral infection, you do get an increase in serotonin and serotonin is involved with the inflammation that the, yep. the viral infection causes. It also promotes like the viral shedding and re- replication. So you do want to block the effect of serotonin as fast as possible. That's why I also made the soup to limit the intake of tryptophan. Um, and then I was also using like activated charcoal and coconut oil. I feel like my gut isn't hundred percent right at the moment. Like I still actually, when I got it sick, I got a little bit of beard, uh, beard drift, dandruff, which I didn't have before. And it's definitely because this thing is messing with my gut. <clears throat> it's going away now, but I just going to use the activated charcoal and coconut oil to, you know, clear out anything that might be still causing problems. And I think my tongue is still a little bit white, so I might just continue to use stuff that's going to you know, be beneficial for the gut. So I don't have any indigestion. I don't feel like my gut's inflamed or I don't get any bloating or any other symptoms, but I know like it's still not 100% there, but it's definitely improving uh, since my symptoms has got a lot better now. Inosine. Um, yeah. Inosine was the other one that I used. That one is also great against viral infections. I know like elite athletes that tend to overtrain and under eat, they tend to get viral infections because of the immunosuppressive effect of whatever they're doing, especially like Epstein-Barr. It's one of the viruses they get. And inosine tends to be very, very good at getting rid of those symptoms. And I've started using that about like three days ago. And I think that's also helped a lot. 
Um, I think that's got like the main things that I've used. Yeah. Yeah. I would just be the only uh, thing of caution I put out for people is I'd be very careful. Like, for example, for me, I wasn't able to eat. So I wouldn't take like I would be very careful to take some of those things if you're not eating. Like I didn't want to use thyroid if I was only eating like ice cream. So I was like in a huge caloric deficit when I was sick. Um, so I wasn't, I was very careful on how much aspirin, how much thyroid. I didn't want to take too much niacinamide because I have done that before. And especially not eating. It was a bad, it was just a bad <laughs> experience. Like my, I was having all types of not able to manage my blood sugar effectively. Um, so in those situations, I'd be careful for anybody. If you are really sick on like what you're using. And if you're going to use a whole bunch of uncouplers, you can actually, I think you may make things a little worse if you don't have food on board. Um, so I would like, you can go lower doses. The other thing I, I also did take cascara when I was, uh, when I was sick for the emotin specifically because of the antiviral properties and because of the gut modulating effects. So I was using emotin every day and that was something that actually helped. I forgot about that one. I kind of just like took the black seed and the, the emotin and the olive leaf, like it was like a one thing all together at the same time. So I just like, and I was just like, I, I put everything on the side of my bed. So my fiance make me some food. I wake up and I would just like, take all that with the, with the, whatever I could get down at that point in time when I was sick. Yeah. Like yeah. when I got sick, I was like, okay, walk to my closet. Okay. What do I have? <laughs> I think this could help. This could help. This could help. <laughs> like just like all the supplements that can help. And it feels like the kitchen sink approach to it, but like, if it's, if it's going to be helpful, why not take it? If it's not going to do any harm, like it doesn't have any counter interdictions. So, you know, if it's going to help you take it and all of those things has been shown to be helpful. So I just took it. And when I recover as fast as possible, I was surprised that how long I still had some of these symptoms. Like, you know, there, you, you tend to be in a certain low energy state where, you know, I shouldn't be training in the state because I probably can do more harm than good. But yeah. about a week and a half in, I was like, you know what? I just want to do something in the gym because I, I just want to do a little bit of something to stimulate. Like, I don't, I'm not going to lose this muscle. I'm going to stimulate the muscle. And I was still feeling a little bit weak at that time, but I was doing mainly uh, three reps. Three, yeah, three reps. So it's very low reps. It's not going to be cardiovascular intensive. It's only strength training, taxing the, the creatine system. And that's going to be all the stimulus you need to retain some of the strength and muscle you, you have. So just doing a little bit of something, something, it's going to be helpful. Yeah. There was no way I was working out when I got sick and I had like, I did have a fever for like, my fever was for like 10 to 12 days. <laughs> it was like, I think it was 10 days and then it broke. Uh, and it was just like a little slightly elevated, but yeah, the, when I had at the whole time I had the fever, there was no, I was doing anything. I was pretty out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was sure wouldn't train when I was that sick. I, I was feeling good, but it was still, I was feeling this low energy state. I was like, you know what? I can probably do some strength training for like one to two sets. And I should be fine. And yeah, I was fine. And the next I was feeling better. And so I'm, um, when am I going to train again? Probably Saturday. And, and then I think I'm going to do sprints. Um, I think my cardiovascular system should be probably fine. Um, yeah. Most of my symptoms are feeling better, but I was feeling a little bit fatigued. And I've, I've seen like the symptoms that people talk about. It's like, now I feel terrible. Now I feel good. Now I feel terrible. Now I feel good. So it's kind of like this fluctuations of feeling good and then feeling bad. And not all of the symptoms come at the same time and go at the same time. So it's still interesting, like, you know, whatever this is that's happening and how your body is dealing with it. Um, it just feels like a pain in the ass though. Yeah. For me, I, there's like about four days after I was better I, where I was just weak. 
and I, my appetite wasn't like 100% back yet. And after that, after those four days, I was 100%. So I haven't like had the, and that was a while ago. So that was almost a week ago. So I haven't had the dip. I haven't had like, like up and down, up and down. I was like sick. I was kind of like out of it for like four or five days where my energies, I had the weakness. Like I was just tired. I just didn't want to do anything. And my motivation was low. My appetite wasn't so good. And then after that, I actually, I went back to work and then I was kind of like, then I was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Work, work cured me. Um, (laughs) The other thing I want to mention too, is I had like a tickle in my throat. So I had worked two days. I had with the patients that I was speaking about in the hospital, I had the tickle in my throat. I took a day off and I was fine. And then I worked two more days again. And then the work, like as I was working, like I kind of like the second day I had gotten it back and I didn't take it easy. I was like, oh, it's whatever. Like I'll be fine because I haven't gotten sick. I've had the tickle and then I relaxed and I'm fine, but I didn't take it easy. And then that next day that I was off is like, bam, like hit with it. I got hit with it. So whatever I had, I think was like my body was brewing it a little bit and I was fine when I had time off to recuperate and whatnot. But when I didn't take the time off, like I didn't, I didn't take it easy. I didn't take the time off. It was like, I got, like, I allowed myself to get pushed over the edge in work. And I was, and I had the tickle. I was like, it hit me. So I don't, I think that it's possible that I wouldn't have had gotten sick if, I had taken the time to take it easy, but since I just continued, I just pushed through. I was like, whatever, I'll be fine. Then that's when it hit me because it was, there's a couple days. There's like maybe like five days or so where like, I was like on and off with that. And I don't know if anybody else has experienced it or if you've experienced it where you have like that slight, like you not, you don't have a cough. You don't have any other symptoms, but there's like a little twinge in your throat. And it's kind of like right before you're going to get sick, you're like, Oh man, I better take it easy. I had that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I should mention is that I uh, this summer we're having really weird weather. Like it's very cloudy and it's not like very hot and it's weird. Um, but the days that I could get sunlight, I don't feel like it has really helped me. And that's probably because it's not like freezing here as it is there. And so I think just that bump and temps was good for you. But the sunlight, it didn't feel like it did anything for me because I also think like my vitamin D was in a good place because I was you know getting sunlight on a very consistent basis. So just having the vitamin D in a good place, I think helped. And then just increasing my temps even more. I don't think that has helped, but I know like UVA does have antiviral effects. So I just want to make sure I was still getting sunlight. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think sunlight is, was a huge factor for me because in previous years, I was able to lay out in the sun for maybe 15, 20 minutes every day where, or at least four times a week. Now I haven't seen the sun in three months. I haven't been out in the sun at all. I had the, I don't leave like it's cold here for these past couple of months. There hasn't been that much sunlight. And then if there was, I was working. So I was just been in the house or in the hospital. So I think that, that, that was a huge, I think that's a huge factor for me, even though I'm supplementing vitamin D and whatnot, I still think sunlight is that important on a regular basis. And there's definitely, while I don't get sunlight, I still get access to bright light because I do have halogen lamps but it's noticeable for me, the lack of sunlight on function and mood and whatnot. Like I definitely crave going back to Florida just, and like my thought process, I, man, I just want to be in the sun. That's literally what I feel. It's just like, I just want to lay out in the sun and I know I'll feel better for that. I just want to go to the beach (laughs) and here it's like, 
you're just in the house or you're just in the hospital and you're just, there's no, it's too cold to be outside. It's like, I, I think I was telling you before, it's like 10 degrees here right now, Fahrenheit. Yeah. And now that you're better, better, what is your plan moving forward to our workouts and all? Um, I haven't really been working out just because of time. So I actually stopped working out even before I was sick. I like, I just haven't by the time. So I'll work in the hospital and then on my days off, I'll do, we'll do the podcast and then I have clients. And then by the time it, I finish my clients, it could be like six or seven o'clock at night. And then I have to go to work the next day. So I don't want to like, I don't want to go to the gym because I still have to prepare all my food for the next day and um, my shakes and whatever else. And then by that time it's like eight and then I have to wake up at six. So I want to, I, I think like for me, my priority is it's more important for me to get sleep and to eat on a regular basis with everything that I have going on so that I'm not weak than it is to get that, you know, I'm going to get that workout in. So I was, I've been prioritizing that. It's like, can I get, how can I get eight hours of sleep on a regular basis? Am I going to eat all my meals on a regular basis? And I've just been focusing on that and I haven't really been going to the gym. So I don't know when, as long as, well, as long as I'm on contract, I may not work out, which that's actually something that seriously I'm not happy about. That's probably out of everything. That's the thing that I'm least happy about because I've been working out consistently or in some fashion doing some type of exercise for years. I'm walking a lot now in the hospital. Like I walk around all day long, but it's not the same. And it's not even a weight thing. Like I'm not going to, I haven't been gaining any weight. My physique, my muscle, I'm not as, you know, I've lost weight, especially when I got sick, but I am like, my overall shape is just stays about the same. Um, just not quite as like pumped up and muscular as I was before. And it will come back. I know when I work out, but it's just, there's a feeling with working out, right. Where you just, after you were, you just feel good especially like if you get a, if you had to go to work out and you're like a little sore the next day and you just like how, how you look in general, how you feel in general, like there's a confidence that comes with it. So it's, uh, there's, I definitely miss it, but with everything going on, like you have to prioritize, I think how you're going to go about things and what you have available to you. And as for me, time is such a limited resource. I, at the moment, it's more important, I think, to sleep and eat on a regular basis into if I get a moment to relax, to relax than it is to go and hit the gym. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It, it, I don't think I would be able to let it go. I think I would uh, do very short and at least maintain, you know, what I had. So I would try to make it, I don't know if I would do calisthenics and one arm push-ups or handstand shoulder presses or something just to maintain something, you know, throw your fiance in your back and do some push-ups or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So um, I feel like obviously losing something is worse than um, not getting something, if that makes any sense. So like all of this work you've already put in, all of this gains that you already made and then feeling like you're going to lose it. At least you know you can regain it relatively quickly because yeah. of uh, muscle memory and stuff like that. But it's not a nice feeling to feel like all of this work you've put in is going to be like down the drain <laughs> because of time management and whatnot. Well, I the way I put it into perspective is... I try to like extend the, so I'll, I'll zoom in or zoom out on a timeline, right? So I have a goal in mind, which is why I'm here working in the hospital. I'm go like, that's the, that's my main goal. That's my priority. I focus on my priority and I'm going to, you know, these are the things that I want to have in, in mind. And the timeline is not so long. Like at the most, it could be a year at the least it could be three months. So I'm probably not going to be a year. I'll probably be like 
like three to three to nine months. I don't know yet what the, how long we'll actually be here. Like that's still up in the air, but with all of that said, it's like when I put that in the scheme of my life, when I put that in the scheme of my lifespan, it's like, okay, I'm 27. I don't like for, I don't work out for three to nine months when I'm 27. I like complete this goal that I have in mind, set myself up how I want to set myself up. And then afterwards I can, I'll have the time and the ability because of what I'm doing now to work out on a regular basis and not worry. So I put it in, in that time frame, and it's kind of like, yeah, I have the, I, if I, right now I have to maintain what I'm doing. I have to manage what I'm doing, but once I'm done, I'll be able to pick my schedule back up how I want it to be with my sleep and my exercise and sunlight and whatnot. And I'll, I'd be like, give myself more opportunity by from what I'm doing now. So that's, it makes it easier for me to, I guess, rationalize it in my mind, because I know if I complete this goal, I'm giving myself the opportunity going forward to, to have the time to do those things and to, to organize things how I want them to be. So it's kind of like a little sacrifice now for this longer term uh, play. Yeah. I guess that's kind of how I see it. It's like a strategic play. Yeah. makes sense. How's your diet going to look like now? It's just going to continue with your, the diet you were doing before. So the one thing after when I did get sick uh, afterwards, I just developed like a massive craving for red meat. Um, so, and the other thing too, and I was, I was going to talk about this article today, but since we're going to hold off on the articles, because this type of, this type of, uh, this episode is about talking about our being sick and whatnot and what we did and recovering, etc. cetera. Um, I switched over to, from like more monounsaturated sources of fat. And I, I mentioned, I tried this before, but I had switched over from like a macadamia nut and the olive oil more and like beef fat to butter and beef fat. But the butter I'm using is a goat butter and I actually am tolerating it perfectly fine. So I had two hypotheses as to why I was, why I wasn't tolerating the butter. Well, one is because butter, there's some studies talking about butter changing the or saturated fats like palmitic acid and stearic acid changing bioacid composition. And that can cause some issues in the intestine. And the symptoms that I got were intestinal from, from cow butter. But when I switch over to the other thing was maybe I just, I know I have a known like an actual allergy to cow products, to cow milk, to cow protein, et cetera, but particularly casein, specifically casein. And so it could have also been like a casein issue, but I always doubted that because the amount of casein in cow butter is so minimal. It's like such a small amount that I was like, there's no way that that small amount is causing an issue. But when I switch over to the goat butter, I did not have any like gut irritation or symptoms at all. I've been completely fine. The other thing too, is I've been completely fine with goat whey protein. Um, so I may at some point actually try goat milk again. The last time I tried it, I tried it with honey and I was like having milk and honey because it's such a delicious combination, but I've had issues with honey in the past. So either way, um, since I've added in that and after being sick, since I've added in the butter and being sick and whatnot, my appetite is like massively increased and the whey protein shakes are just not covering it. So I've been having whey protein shakes and then I've been eating meat on top of that, <laughs> on top of the juice and whatnot. So my calories are just, they've like, they've jumped up significantly. So I think I was like 3000 before, and that's kind of where I was maintaining even without working out. And then now I've like bumped up to like maybe 35, between 3,500 and 4,000 with the butter. And 
there was a noticeable androgenic effect from adding in the more saturated fats where I actually had a, like I leaned out. So like my midsection leaned out a little bit more and my muscles got a little bit tighter, even though I'm not really, um, I'm not really working out. And then also like there's a noticeable change in mindset. So even though I was sick and I was taking Cypro and I was feeling like the slight depressive symptoms and whatnot, or the lack of motivation, lowered motivation. When I switched over to butter, even I, like after that, the goat butter, it was like immediate, like I have the assertiveness back and eye on the prize type of situation and that motivation to just like achieve whatever I wanted, whatever I set my mind to. So that was a huge change for me. Um, and I, and it was weird because it was like better after I got sick, even though I was sick than before. So that's kind of with the diet, the changes where I added in the butter, I've gone hungrier and I've added in more meat. So I've been eating more meat and I've been eating, uh, I've been eating a little bit more cooked vegetables. Cause after I got sick, I noticed that that was like helping, uh, bowel, bowel wise. Um, and then I'm still, I'll still continue with the shakes. So I have the shakes and the protein, the, the increased meat and perhaps the increased protein has been helpful as well. Um, the last thing I'll say is tangential, but, uh, what helped with getting like smell and taste back, I don't have any, I didn't lose, it's not gone. I, I got it back like a couple days after I got better, but I think for my fiance too, specifically hers was lagging. It was taking her a while to get it back. Was it having some, I gave her some zinc gluconate and having some, the, some of the zinc actually helped her get her smell and taste back within a few days. And for me, perhaps part of the meat craving could be zinc related, but I've been killing red like steaks and ground meat and things like that <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like the red meat is also androgenic because of the zinc and i've noticed this myself is that by eating more like ground beef or red meat you're getting more zinc you're also feeling more androgenic in the process um and yeah as you said like so serotonin is usually also involved in loss of like taste and uh, smell so i think yeah. the main reason or one of the reasons why zinc is helpful is because it also lowers serotonin but yeah like usually if people have a zinc deficiency they tend to have higher serotonin and they tend to lose their uh, their senses in general so getting more zinc into the system that's a great idea yeah it's wonderful yeah no that was that was for my fiance it was like night and day difference after starting and after starting the zinc and the, we, we didn't do a high dose. Like I didn't give her like the tap, the capsules I have are like 50 milligrams of zinc at once, which is quite a lot. Uh, what I did is I gave her one capsule and I said, just sprinkle a little bit in your juicer or, or your meal for like for each meal. So do maybe like a couple milligrams each meal over the course of multiple days. So take like a week to finish this capsule. Um, just because so if you go, I think it's over 50 milligrams of zinc in a day from food and supplements, you start, you can alter your co copper metabolism. And then the second piece is that it, the zinc itself for some people can cause nausea and, and discomfort and whatnot. So her splitting it up, uh, within like two days, her taste and smell came back and then her appetite came back, which, and it's quite interesting too, just how much taste and smell is important for appetite. Cause for her she didn't have, she wasn't, she didn't get very sick. She didn't really get fevers. The worst she had was like headaches and she had a little sore throat, but, and she tested positive for COVID as well, but she didn't get, um, she didn't get any other like, like significant symptoms except for the nausea and gut stuff and, and like lack of appetite. So, so, and the, the lack of appetite is the, and the loss of taste and smell lingered for her. And it was something that was like quite difficult. Like she had zero appetite. Like we were working like 
14 hour days on when we went back to the hospital and she would eat like one meal because she just, it just wasn't there, which is not good at all. Um, and it was just cause the food wasn't tasting good and, and she couldn't smell it or anything like that. So I think that it's really important. This is something I even talk about with clients is that it's really important to make sure that your food tastes good and that, and you're enjoying it. Cause I have people who come to me, Oh, I'll eat whatever you tell me to eat. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. It's like, no, I think that it's important that it tastes good and you're enjoying it and whatnot. So but yeah. <laughs> I think that's why a lot of vegetarians is actually very fat. Not to offend anyone, but it's because the sugar and the fat and everything tastes so amazing. And they just like overloading calories and they blow up. So I, I, what I try to do is that just make people aware of like, yeah, it's important if your food tastes good, but just keep your eye on your calories. And I know a lot of people are like, you have to eat a lot to speed up your metabolism and getting weight is not like, no, no, it's not. It's like, if you actually look at the studies and how the way it's done, like, <laughs> okay, and I'm not going to get into this now. We can always do another episode and like the metabolic rate and whatnot, but very few people speed up their metabolic rate that they can eat like 4,000 calories. Most people do just fine on like 2,500 and maybe even to 3,000, depending on like how active they are. And it's just like- yeah, your size. Their meta- yeah. Your metabolism doesn't speed up. It doesn't become wasteful. That's just not the rule. It's more like the exception than anything else. Yeah. Well, I've had a, quite a few clients like that too, where they, they that all in approach where I'm just going to like go and eat everything and my metabolism will catch up. And a lot, I've had a, quite a few people come back and like, yeah, I gained like 40 pounds and I need to lose it because yeah. I, I don't think it, the other thing too, is with this, with those approaches, even with the Peterian approach, the foods that they're adding in, it's like, oh, I'm going to, especially because the backgrounds that people come from, it's like, I was a strict vegan or I was a, I was a strict carnivore or I was keto or I was whatever. It's like you open, they open the gates now to, to sugar. And it's just like, everything is there. It's like anything you want, you have Oreos and sugar and, <laughs> and gummy bears and marshmallows and like, and the, there's, it's like all these, some of the, cause once you open, once they open up the gate to Peterianism, it's like all of the other beliefs that they had from the other systems were incorrect to some extent. I think there's like a subconscious bias in to think, to think like that. But what I, a lot of there's principles in those systems that make sense, right? Where when you're coming from some of these other dietary approaches, the idea of nutrient density is important. Like that is, that's not going to go away. It's not going to magically, now you can just eat sugar and everything is going to be fine. You know, granulated sugar. It, And then there's some elements like with paleo, like avoiding foods that are irritating or possibly damaging to the microbiome. And that's even in the plant-based and vegan spheres, like, uh, like you don't want to throw that stuff out the window. So you come over, you can eat. A lot of people do need to eat more in general. A lot of people like you, there needs to be eating more overall, but it's not going to be like tons of sugary treats or like dumping a large amount of sugar and milk and thinking that you're not just going to gain weight from this or eating like ridiculous amounts of chocolate and fudge and whatever else. I've had a lot of people come with like tons of things, or I've had people come and they've like, yeah, every time I have dairy, I have like ridiculous amounts of diarrhea and I get acne and I get bloated and this and that. But, you know, eventually in a couple of months, my dairy allergy should go away, but I've already gained 30 pounds. And it's just like, no, we need to, let's take out the dairy for a little while and see how it goes. Yeah. So, yeah, I think also uh, the reason why your appetite's up is because your body wants to regain that lost muscle mass that you have, that you've lost. That's typically what a, like a diet do. If you, if you don't diet correctly, 
you lose the more muscle mass you lose the higher your appetite goes as a compensation mechanism so i think that's why it's important for people to eat protein and as you say like high like nutrient dense foods that's going to give you like the protein the amino acids the vitamins and minerals so that your body can use that for regeneration and growth and repair not just empty stuff like sugar and fat that's not going to do uh, do as good as like animal products like with more nutrients in them yeah 100 agree there and I, I think that's the biggest problem with petarians coming to the peat sphere is is that yeah i think it was also is because Pete talks about the benefits of saturated fat and then the benefits of sugar and then when you add both you're not having enough protein and he's talking especially about you know red meat's not good because of iron and phosphorus and um you know i, I think like i made a video about 10 things that i disagree with on pete and people said like we should be talking about some of those things more in detail on the podcast and um like i was listening to a podcast danny roddy they're having pete on and then pete talked about he was having oat bran and then danny immediately brought up like the phosphorus and pete wasn't even concerned about the phosphorus and was like well, he said, like, yeah, you have to consume a little bit of milk to compensate for the for the phosphorus, kind of like as a like as an off comment. But I think it's more like, don't be so overly strict and overly concerned about things. Like, if you crave meat, eat meat. Like, there's not a general rule. You should never be eating phosphorus. You know, limit it as low as possible. I think Pete can be a little bit more lenient to certain foods than people give him credit for. And like, yeah. if you don't eat enough protein, you're going to have a higher appetite. So now you eat things that's pre-approved, like saturated fat and sugar, and you're not having enough protein. And that's when you really get fat and get nutritional deficiencies and stuff like that. Well, I've seen that too, where people it's like, oh, I can have a lot of collagen as my protein source. So they'll come and they're having like tons of collagen hydrolysate and then the diet and then their other protein source will be milk. And then they have the rest of it's just like sugar and, and like whatever sugary sources that they want, which can a lot of times include like, like junk foods or, or non-nutrient dense foods. And then they'll gain a whole bunch of weight. But I don't think that collagen is going to be a, like, should be a primary protein source, especially because it lacks a lot of, it can be, you can have a decent amount of collagen in your diet, but it does lack a lot of amino acids. And then you, whether you tolerate dairy or not is very individual. And then for any, for, yeah, I think the, especially the way I would situate a diet is the first thing I look at is, okay, how much protein do you require? And are you hitting that target for protein? Next piece is carbs. And then the next piece is fat. And then fat is more individual in this adjustment it, as far as how you're feeling hormonally, how much you can handle, et cetera. And then as far as carbs go, the, the carbs more adjust up and down with activity, but I generally recommend at least two times carbs for protein to start. And I, and a lot of the, again, the, the food sources that I choose here are always nutrient dense. I, they, if, if you need to be in a caloric excess and you need to have some bulk foods in there that aren't very nutrient dense to hit that caloric excess, I think that that's helpful. So for example, um, if you're like working out super heavy and you have a very nutrient dense base diet, but you need to add in some extra, some extra calories on top of what you're doing to to support your activity, then having a little extra junk foods or whatever it's going to be like some more, some less filling foods, but higher calorie foods with more sugar and fat and whatnot. I think that that can be helpful, but I think for the vast majority of people, especially in the bioenergetic sphere, because there is some kind of anti exercise perspective, or at least perception in the sphere. It's not that 
I don't think there's people are against exercise overall, but I think there's a perceptive perception in the sphere. Not not that even Ray or Danny have talked about it, but there's a perception against exercise. If you're not lifting weights, you're not exercising, you don't need that huge caloric excess and you're coming from eating a low amount of calories. The, if you're going to reverse diet, number one, I would do it slowly. And a number two, I would recommend choosing the most nutrient dense foods that your body tolerates to start and have that as your foundation. So that's going to be, if you tolerate dairy products, then whatever dairy products you tolerate, it's going to be meat. It's going to be seafood. It's going to be eggs. It's going to be juices. It's going to be fruit. It's going to be starches that you tolerate potatoes, tubers, whatnot. And these are all things that are going to be easy to digest. And then you add in the like accessory stuff and whether that's like just pure granulated sugar or whatever it is, but that is always after that's never going to be the primary source. And you're just all of a sudden, Oh, I'm going to eat all this sugar and eat all this junk food and have pints of ice cream every single day. And I'm going to be able to maintain my weight because my metabolism is just going to catch up. I've never seen that happen. <laughs> yeah. I've, yeah. I, I think we should really be talking about uh, diet and exercise uh, because I think, uh, I think there's a lot of nuances and things that people don't necessarily understand. They want to be too strict. Maybe they're confused. I think we should be talking about like diet in the aspect of energy, satiety, metabolism, uh, like the, the stuff exactly you just talked about, like the foundation that you want to establish first, the nutrient denseness, study, those kind of stuff. I just give people like a general overview of that. We can probably do that in a, one of the following episodes. What do you think? Yeah, no problem. Whatever you want to. All right, man. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add to, uh, you know, this episode specifically to this topic? No, that, I think we covered it pretty well as far as our personal six stories. I, I would say for people, for example, like I've had a couple people, parts of some of my clients and whatnot ask me like, why do I think I got sick? And I think the, because I haven't been sick and I take care of myself, et cetera. The reason I really think that I got sick is I haven't had sun exposure and I've been working a large number of hours on a consistent basis. Regularly, I haven't had the time to necessarily de-stress. And I think i I talked about an article on here about the effects of stress in the immune system. It does lower, it does directly lower immune function and not having access to sunlight and not having the ability to really take that time to just unwind. I think those predisposed me towards being sick on top of the fact that I'm in a high, high exposure environment, right? I work with sick people every single day. I have patients who come in with the flu every single, every, almost every single day. And the, they're not like, a 20 year old who has some sniffles and a temperature from the flu. It's like an 80 year old who's on, who needs to get, they, some people are trached. They have holes in their, in their trachea so that they can get a ventilator attached to, <laughs> to their trachea to get oxygen because they're in respiratory failure. So it's, I'm in a high risk, a high exposure situation. And then on top of that, there, despite my diet and despite my sleep, stress and lack of access to sunlight and I, like lack of adequate exercise, et cetera, all of those, that whole picture isn't complete at the moment for me. And I think that the, it's not like, while diet and sleep are cover a lot of bases, there's other elements as well that I think are important. And I can, for me, I can feel that I could over time and I can even notice it on the podcast. Like if I were to rewatch sometimes, like you could see that there's times where I'm like clearly fatigued and that's my day off. Like I'm clearly fatigued. 
Uh, and I think so I could, and I could feel that like bear jump on my back over, over weeks where it's like, I'm just, okay, I need to take a day off. I need to take a day off. I don't have the day off. I don't have the day off. And that just, it like, I think that kind of like wore myself down. So I think it's like self-induced to a large extent. And I think that's why I got sick. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I think in my case, it, I think everyone is going to get sick, you know, it's like you, you, I mean, everyone is most likely going to get a virus. It all depends on the symptoms that you get. Like sometimes it also depends on the specific virus. Like if you, if it's a flu, if your vitamin D levels are good, you're not stressed, you're most likely not going to have any kind of symptom. Um, this is a new virus that you have to get immunity to. So you're probably going to get it. You're probably going to get some symptoms, but the severity of the symptoms depend on the current state of your health. Um, and then in your case, you were overworked. I was in a deficit. I was, um, I was also Working training out, hard. Cutting. So there were some stresses on me. Um, obviously with the baby, there was some sleep wasn't perfect. So that was, I think, additional stress. I'm not trying to make excuses, but, um, you know, I don't think my symptoms were as severe as other people, but I think other people had it less severe than me. Um, but uh, at least we have the knowledge to use supplements to get over it quickly though. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's important for, I think the message from both of us here is it's, it's important to kind of, to have your bases covered to a large extent. You're not, not everything's always going to be perfect, right? Life, <laughs> life happens when you're making plans, but there's, it's important to understand and, you know, take responsibility for the areas where it's like, okay, yeah. Why am I sick? Well, <laughs> I've been doing X, Y, Z for the past couple months and I predisposed myself to getting sick. And then the other thing is, okay, how can I rectify this? How can I manage this once you get better? Because in, in most situations you get sick, you get a lot of people are going to be just fine. I think the vast majority of people are going to be fine and get better. Um, but the question is always what, what weakens your state to allow you to get sick? Uh, and I think though that's the question I always ask myself if, if I get sick or if I have something going on, what predisposed me to this? And then to how can I rectify those factors? So that's, I think, that's the, that's how, where I come at for you. You're in a deficit. You're, you're working out, you're in, you're cutting and you guys have a new baby and all that stuff going on. So you have a couple factors that are, that are working for me that are working against you. And then for me, I have the work schedule and whatnot. And, um, and the, like the lack of time because of the work schedule of impairing working out sleep, lack of sun exposure, et cetera. So there's always, and it's, how can you manage those factors and be aware of them rather than just shoving it under? Oh, it's just because a lot of people, there's just like this idea. Oh, I just get sick every year. Or if they have like a chronic disease, even in the hospital, it's like, Oh, it's just genetic. And there's no, there's no perspective from people where it's like, yeah, I did this to myself. Like I have people in there who drank, like who are drinking alcohol on a regular basis and have liver disease, et cetera, heart disease, or people who are in there and they're smoking every single day, four packs talking about how much, how much they can smoke and they have a stroke. And then it's like, why did I have a stroke or why is my liver messed up or why do I have heart disease? And they're sitting there ordering, you know, fried chicken. It's like, why do I have all of these things when the, it's like, this is why you have these things. It's self-induced <laughs> yeah, yeah. to some, to a large extent. So yeah, just keep that all, keep your lifestyle in mind and always ask why. <laughs> yeah. I think like as, you're going to get immunity. Like, first of all, like this is a new virus supposedly as to say you get it, you build that immunity. Next time you won't get, you won't get it as long as you're not uh, putting yourself in a severe immunocompromised position. And then like <clears throat> you might have some small residual symptoms, maybe like a little tickle in the throat or something like that. But as long as you're healthy, you're not 
doing something that's going to suppress your immune system or create some inflammation, you should be fine uh, symptom-wise. But uh, yeah, yeah, like we all, like this is the thing, like children, they all get the same virus and they have to build up the immunity to that specific virus. Like there is viruses that your body get and it has to build up the immunity. Once it, you have built it up, you don't get that virus or disease or whatever again. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That was it. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope it was helpful to implement if you want to implement any of these strategies. Thanks for watching, guys. Cheers.